But I just started something two weeks ago, what I call Newsletter Junior. And that's a personal email for me. It's just text. It's one or two tips a week. And it's not the big five articles and commentary <laughs> right. and this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I actually am sending that from my personal address and I've had a lot of responses to it. I've gotten some responses. Man, you know, I like this. This is this seems more yeah. personal. People mm. have really responded. So when it comes to newsletters, maybe that's something to consider. Hello, you're listening to Podcast Growth Hacks, where I talk to podcasters of all experience levels to unpack the most powerful growth tactics they used to grow their podcast. I'm Pat Chung. And if you're a podcaster, well then subscribe so that together we can all learn and experiment with how to grow our own podcasts. Today, we're chatting with David Hooper, the host of Build a Big Podcast. He started this podcast in 2017 and now has over 518 episodes. And his podcast is a podcast about podcasting. And I'm trying this new thing where once a month, I feature another podcaster who podcasts about podcasts, where I do a brief interview with them and I feature a full episode of their podcast. So David, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for being my guinea pig. This is the first time I'm doing an episode drop. And have you ever done an episode drop, whether you dropped your episode on another podcast or you had one on yours? I have not. We have done promo drops and we do teasers and things, but never a full episode drop. So I'm excited to be the guinea pig and jump in here with you. <laughs> All right, cool. And I've self-admittedly, I've always been pretty skeptical about these episode drops. But when I thought about it more, especially when my last guest came on, Jordan Blair, she said how well it worked for her. So I thought, you know what? Um, I should experiment with it. It makes yeah. a lot of sense. And in fact, I even started subscribing to another podcast, like which has become one of my favorite podcasts because of an episode drop. Yeah, I think it's definitely an opportunity. I see it happening a lot in fiction, especially. Hmm. The one thing I, I think that you have to realize, though, and I think it works against people, and I don't know if you felt this way too, really excited about your new episode that you're going to listen to and like, oh, they did the old switcheroo. <laughs> That's one of the reasons that we use just a promo or a teaser or a really tight edit to do that. So it gives them just a little taste. It's like the cookie store in the mall. Gives them yeah. a bite, but to buy the whole cookie, you got to actually purchase it. And that is what we've started with, you know, but I'm, I'm in here with you for the full episode. Yeah. So we'll know. We'll, you and I will know soon enough <laughs> if, if this actually works. Yeah, I'll give you the results. I think it'll yeah. work for you. But like I said, I've been skeptical because as a listener, I'm like, I kind of liked it. Like it introduced me to another show, but um, I don't know. Maybe it made me less interested in the primary show. I'm not too sure. But anyway, we're trying it. And before we dive into your episode, I'm gonna, once again, I'm going to play your whole episode. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about your show. Well, the podcast, it is about podcasting, but it is specifically about growing an audience it is about spreading a message. It's about making people care about your message. It is about making money with your podcast. It is not about anything to do with tech, unless there's a tech element that's going to help you do those things that I just mentioned. That's the way that this podcast is different from other podcasts on podcasting. And I've been a longtime listener to your show. The moment I actually started podcasting, I just Googled what are the resources for podcasting. Your podcast came up pretty um, high on the list. And what got you into the show? How'd you start doing this? 
Well, if you want to go way back, 1991, I was a music student, University of Memphis, and I walked into a radio class, the campus radio station, and my plan was to play my own music on the air. To get on the air, I had to take a class that taught you how to use the mic and the faders and whatever else. And that was my plan. I soon learned that that was not legal, called it plugola. You can't put stuff on the air that you have a financial interest in. But I stuck it out and then eventually got into music marketing and radio promotion. So I was around radio all the time. And the quick and dirty is a few years later after doing, I had the second largest music conference in the country and it just burnt me out, man. I was completely exhausted. I thought, well, instead of having thousands and thousands of people come to Nashville every year, maybe I can go to somebody with a radio tower, just like I did back when I was in school and post-school. I was at DJ and station in Mississippi. I could get on that radio tower, take my message to people. And I started something called Music Business Radio. That was 2005. Mm. And just so happened that I knew Dave Jackson from mm. School of Podcasting. He was a musician. He had a musician newsletter. He had just started his podcast a month before. So we jumped in there together. So 2005, you started the radio show? Radio show, but it was also a podcast. But oh. I, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you called it a radio show, though, because we... We treated it as a radio show. We just released it via podcast. When I actually got into what I call podcasting, probably nine years later, 2014-ish. Got it. Got it. That's cool. And are you still doing that radio show today? Yeah. Yep. Every week. But uh, we're doing it remotely now. With COVID, it's really dangerous for radio guys because you're in a small room. Our studio is probably, I don't know, eight by eight. Hmm. And we'll have five, six guys in there sometimes. Oh, wow. One of the things because of COVID, though, it has forced us, because we're going remotely, to do more outside of Nashville. We don't have to have you come to Nashville and come into our studio. Mm -hmm. Everybody has learned this during COVID, learning how to use Zoom, learning how to be their own engineer. But because of that, we've been able to go all over the world with the people that we interview for the radio show. So we do it like a podcast almost, but we still, we treat it as radio as well. So you started Build a Big Podcast in 2017. Tell us uh, kind of the reasoning behind that. That has a lot to do with the music business, actually, in that I was 45 years old and kind of burnt. I'd been doing music for 20, 25 years, and I was mm -hmm. just burnt out. And the music industry had changed. When I was in my 20s, you know, I felt like I felt that I was part of something and, and had my finger on the pulse, and I was getting older, and the music industry was changing. And I thought, well, what could I do next? And, and looking on it now, it seems like it was a really obvious transition. Like, oh, you can build audiences for different people, not just musicians, and spread messages for different people, not just musicians. And the podcast on podcasting was part of that. I thought, thought well, you know, I've been doing radio and people always ask me about it and spreading a message via radio. Maybe I can do a podcast on podcasting that hmm. shares what, have, what I've learned. And then it, it ended up taking off into something much bigger. I've done a couple of books since then, got a third book on the way, and it, just, uh, it's like this episode of, of the feed drop, it's trial and error and some of the stuff stuck and here we are. Yeah. Tell us about your books a little bit. Well, the book, again, it comes back to having something I wanted to say, and I've always done that. I've done that with radio and I've done that with websites and newsletters and the book, I'd had a couple music business books. Hmm. I actually had a publishing deal with the Idiot's Guide, yeah, the, the orange Idiot's one. Guide, right. okay. Yeah, that kind of went south and, and started doing my own stuff. Being in Nashville, Nashville is a big publishing town. People think about it as music, but we are a huge, huge publishing town. So hmm. I had some access to some, some things here, started doing my own books, and I had all this thing to say. 
from the business standpoint, I needed a way to reinvent myself because everybody knew me as a music business guy and I still had the radio show. Like I said, it's going out to so many people. So I'm still telegraphing that to everyone, but I needed something that I could throw on somebody's desk and say, no, I'm the podcasting guy. Mm. And I thought a book would actually be better than a podcast, ironically. <laughs> and, and maybe it was, maybe it was, but you know, everybody had a podcast, few people, a few more people had books. So I wrote a book uh, that easy four, four and a half years later or so. Nice. What's the name of the book? It's called Big Podcast. Big Podcast. So yep. same name as the podcast. Same name. Yeah, man. I'm hammering that hammer. <laughs> That's cool. Well, let's talk about the, the book a little bit. Uh, yeah. So what do people learn in this book? The book is the same as the podcast. It's about how to spread a message. It is about how to make people care about what you're doing, how to build an audience, how to communicate certain things. But it goes really deep. It's ironically <laughs> about small podcasting, not big podcasting. And I say that because it's about what we would call niche marketing. If you see anything online, you've seen that term before. It's not necessarily about doing a show like I've got or even some of the bigger shows. It's making something for a specific type of person. And it goes into depth about how to pick markets, how to find something that works for you, how to fly your flag. That's a huge thing. I know this is the, the growth tactics podcast, right? We're talking about hacks, tactics things you can use to grow your podcast. And that's one of the biggest things that you can do is fly your own flag, put personality behind it. So I talk a lot about that, about sales psychology, about the psychology of why people will listen and also having a good message that entertains people. It's not just about somebody listening and learning something. People want to be entertained as well. Yeah. You've been thinking about podcast growth for a long time. I love the name of your show. That's kind of how I gravitated to it in the first place. And that's why I kind of want you, you to be the first guest I do this experiment with. Uh, yeah. What's your favorite podcast growth hack? I think the favorite one that I have, maybe it's my favorite thing about podcasting. I think it's that you can put your message out there and you can be yourself, plant your flag, as I say, and then attract people that are like you. And we don't get to see that in other types of media. When I'm on the radio, I remember going in 2005 when we started Music Business Radio. They thought, well, you know, I might be a little bit too niche. We need something that everybody's going to like so we can go to Ford and Coca-Cola and 3M and DuPont. And I was like, no, you guys don't understand. We're in Nashville. This is Music City USA. We need a, a music business show. So I, eventually I, I won him over. Uh, but that's something that you don't see in a lot of media. They want something that's for everybody. And because of that, people will view it, but they kind of tolerate it. It's kind of like maybe these holiday movies you can see on Netflix or romance movies you see on Netflix. It's like, it's like, I'm not turning it off, but I don't really like it. And I think that's the opportunity we have as podcasters. And I think that's what makes it so powerful for us to connect with people and grow, but just not in the way that people maybe think about growing. Like I said, the book is Big Podcast. The podcast is called Build a Big Podcast, but it's actually a really small, tight audience. It's not that small. You're talking maybe five, 10,000 people, but it's not millions of people. If you've got five or 10,000 people though, you can do a lot. You can certainly have a great living and you can make a lot of impact too. Yeah, that's good. And uh, I'm glad you said make a good living. I noticed, so you still have your foot in two industries. It sounds like you still have your foot in radio and podcasts. Why not go full podcasting? You said you're kind of burned out in radio, but you're still doing it. Well, I was burned out in the music industry. Okay. But yeah, to be honest with you, man, and I would say this to them, it's, I'm working with my friends. Mm. I mean, I think that as a kid growing up in Nashville, wanting to be part of the music industry, which I was for several years. And again, I consider it broadcasting now. It's like, 
it's easy to get in the grind and, and not realize how awesome that is that you can get mm -hmm. on a mic and the signal goes everywhere. And it's not about ego. I think it's just empowering people. And I think it's, uh, being proud of where you're from. Like we are in Nashville. It's not just bachelorettes and it's not just whatever football it's, it's a creative community that has had an impact on the world. And I want to showcase that. So that's my motivation. And, and that's the reason that I stick that aspect of broadcasting out. That's really cool. And uh, I know you teach a lot of your listeners about the monetization aspect of podcasting. How is the podcast compared to your radio show for yourself? As far as monetization? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's much better because the radio show, you got um, producer, engineer, studio time. <laughs> there's, just, there's just a lot more people, salesmen get commissions and things like that. The, the model is advertising on that. So that's pretty solid. It's probably better than you could do on most podcasts just because of the, the nature of radio and it hits so many people. But with a podcast, because I control all of it, it's not a partnership with me and a broadcasting company mm -hmm. that I can put my own products behind it. And those plugola laws that I mentioned earlier about not being allowed on the radio. <laughs> right. I can plug all I want, baby. So the monetization comes from that, not actually the podcast itself, but because people can hear me they get to know me, they buy the book or they hire me, or it comes off as, I guess, uh, expert credibility. Right. So what are your monetization streams for Build a Big Podcast? Well, there are ads on Build a Big Podcast. I've got right. a newsletter that's attached to it. There are also ads on that, but more or less, it's going to be direct sales of my own stuff. Right. And direct sales meaning like consulting or? Yeah. Yeah. Consulting membership that I've got going on called Big Podcast Blueprint. There are books attached to it. There's some, some things of that nature. Yeah. Tell us about the, the blueprint. So bl blueprint, I don't know if it's just for me, but I imagine it's for every author that people read your book and they've got more questions mm -hmm. or it's definitely this way with podcasting. People hear your podcast and go, oh, I, I want more. I want more. Like they, this is what I'm talking about when I talk about plant your flag is that people, they have a taste of you. They've got that cookie at the mall, right? And you've got something more for them. So if people really want to sit down with me and really work through their own stuff and have me listen to it and give you feedback and work with other podcasters that are just as excited as you are, that's what the blueprint is. So there's a step up. And that's the kind of work that I, I actually like doing. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, we're about to hear one of your episodes. Tell us a little bit about it. This is sort of a hybrid. This is on Build a Big Podcast, but this is the behind the scenes of the radio show, Music Business Radio. And because it's a radio show, because it's attached to different stations, we have a lot of people, what they want is they want their artists to have airplay on a station and it introduces an artist to stations that hopefully will spin their records as well. So that's kind of the background of that. And because of that, we get hit up by publicists all the time, every day, and they try to probably much like podcasters. My podcast gets hit, hit up like this too. And they try to be a guest. So what I wanted to do is talk to podcasters about what happens when a publicist comes to you and it's not a very good guest or it's not a very good pitch or it's not a match or maybe there's something there. First of all, you can say no. But if there is something there, what can you do to make it work for you? Because these publicists are ruthless. Pat, I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but you're probably like me, you're getting hit up by these publicists and they, they have no fear of rejection. They don't quit. They just keep coming back. <laughs> they don't take no. And I, I wanted to explain to people being somebody in the trenches like that. And this is another reason for being in the trenches, like how I deal with them. So this is a, a situation that I was in, a publicist that I know. She's gotten us a lot of great guests, but she came to me with kind of a, 
a mismatch and about how I worked with her to make it work for us and work for her too. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I don't get hit up by publicists quite yet, but I do get hit up by individual uh, podcasters who want to promote something or want to share their yeah. story. I guess this is kind of, this will be pretty practical advice for yeah, them. Yeah, well, it's totally practical because as podcasters, especially with them, because they're involved with their own thing. And when we're involved with our own thing, we think it's the most important thing and everybody's going to want this. <laughs> yeah. And they come to you, Pat, and you're like, mm, I don't know. I don't know. So, and it's tough, right? Because with Pod Inbox and the stuff that you're doing, you don't want to piss off a podcaster because mm -hmm. then he might not talk about your services very nicely or, or hire you for other things. You <laughs> know, so so there's a there's a a, a degree of uh, tact and yeah. skillfulness that you need when dealing with publicists or anybody. And, and that's really what this podcast is about. Oh, man, that's awesome. I can't wait to hear it. And this is a relatively new segment on your show, right? I've been listening to your show for a long time, but only, I think I only recently just heard one of these behind the scenes episodes. Yeah. So the answer is yes and no. I, I've been doing this for a long time, but it's within the blueprint. And that's where the real dirt is, honestly. I'm not trying to sit here and sell it, but <laughs> I can name names. And we, we can talk about some of this stuff if you want. I don't, this is going on a little bit of a tangent, but like there is so much stuff that happens behind the scenes in between commercial breaks of a guest comes in and he's maybe intoxicated or there's time zone mix-ups. And I, I try to take people behind the scenes and show them the, the problems and how to work around them because everybody's going to run into problems. Maybe somebody doesn't show up with a good mic or something on these remote interviews. How do you work around those problems when you mm -hmm. really want an interview? Or maybe you're scared to ask somebody for a sound check, equipment check beforehand because it is somebody famous. Mm. And you're thinking, oh, I don't want him to say no. What do we do now? So, mm. um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's cool. I mean, I, I love the format too. And I love how you edit uh, these episodes. I don't know if you, you, you mentioned it, but uh, you're not just talking about the behind the scenes, but you're actually showing what's actually happened with the actual audio you capture, right? I am. This one, however, is a little bit different than I'm reading the emails that mm. she sent me because the the pitches are happening via email. Oh, but yeah, right. The, but the other ones, though, yeah, definitely. The, when we've got behind the scenes audio, like the banter that happens between the commercials, the banter that happens when we're doing promos, the banter not just with me and the guest, but also a producer who's on the line and also an engineer. Mm -hmm. So you can hear like how we work as a team and, and how the show gets out. Yeah. Right. That's cool. And are you planning to keep doing these types of episodes? Yeah. I, I'm like you with, with this one here. It's an experiment. Yeah. And it's one of those things that um, sometimes people forget they're being recorded with me. Yeah. So in a way, it's maybe there's some ethics around it to to release some stuff that they think is going to be edited out. But we do warn people when they step in the studio, any, anybody who comes in with me, I said, I'm taping now. If you want something to not be released, let me know. We have permission to edit. We have permission to distribute it any way we want to. And we don't send edit for, edits for approval. Mm, so, that's interesting. So people are pretty, re like, they'll readily sign off on something like that? If they want to be taped, they're going to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just, it, and it's it's not, and that's another thing too, that's maybe some behind the scenes to talk about really quickly here, is that people are afraid to ask for stuff like that, but yeah. that's the reality of it. And And the reason we have those agreements is because... It's like the no shirt, no shoes, no service. It's like mm -hmm. people showed up without shirts and shoes and like, eh, that's not going to work. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, I hope you keep doing this segment with the behind the scenes. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't know if, have you looked at the numbers of how your other episode did? No. You know what? I, I never look at numbers. Is, is that weird? No, that, totally, totally not. Yeah. I, you know what I think it is? I, I, I feel like it's that being in the business so long, I had a guy explain it to me. It's a writer wrote with Alan Jackson. He goes, man. 
I just got sick of living and dying by the charts. And he, he, re- <laughs> he retired, just like walked that. away from it. And I always think about him. Mm. And it's like, yeah, you know, what if we just put the stuff out and just let it go where it goes, put out the stuff that you think is important rather than trying to optimize for every search engine or just put out the stuff that you think is great, plant that flag. So that's what I tried to do. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, e- even if it was like a good episode, a good episode and a bad episode, the difference is probably 300 people. Right, I mean, exactly. You know, so. No, you're right. It doesn't really matter. I agree. Like I, the only thing I think I'll probably be looking at is aggregate numbers. I'm not going to be kind of drilling down per episode. Either. Yeah, just knowing you're in the right direction, right? Right. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's another thing maybe to look at as far as growth hack. It's like, what is your metric? And, and for me, it's going to be feedback, emailing me and saying, like, I really connected with this. Because right. that was the goal. That's what I was talking about. Like, humanizing those people and right. showing the humanity of people. It's so much bigger than just audio distributed via RSS to me. Right. No, I love that. And I, I see that you do that too. And uh, when I asked you about what's your favorite growth hack, I'm actually a little surprised you didn't say newsletter because oh. I think you just hit your 100th newsletter, which is yeah. amazing to me. You yeah. have a really great newsletter. I read it pretty much every single time. And, you know, talk about communication and feedback. Um, I think yours is probably one of the first newsletters where I just thought, what if, you know, wonder if he'll reply if I replied to the newsletter? Because, you know, generally people don't reply to newsletters, right? They just think it comes from some, I don't know, bot email address. Did, did you write me back and what happened? Yeah, and you responded. I think um, you've always been good at responding, which I find awesome, you know, because sometimes when you respond to a newsletter, you just think it's going to go into this other folder or something. So here's the thing, Pat, I'm going to go deeper on this. So let me tell you what I'm doing about this, because what you just said is what I'm doing. When you actually respond to the newsletter, it goes into a different box because I get inundated with so much mail. What I try to have people on the newsletter do is go to Twitter where I can quickly respond to people. And that's why when you look at the newsletter, which is by the way, newsletter.bigpodcast.com, it says, hey, hit me up, go to Twitter. But I just started something two weeks ago, what I call Newsletter Junior. And that's a personal email for me. It's just text. It's one or two tips Mm. a week. And it's not the big five articles and commentary (laughs) and this kind of stuff. And I actually am sending that from my personal address and I've had a lot of responses to it. And it's interesting, speaking of feedback, because that's a measurement that I look at. I've gotten some responses, man, you know, I like this. This is, this seems more yeah. personal. People hmm. have really responded. So when it comes to newsletters, maybe that's something to consider. And I'm, I'm looking at, I'm always trying to evolve because at 50 years old, I've been on the internet for a long, long time. And I've been doing broadcasting for a long time. And I think it gets to a point where For a lot of people, they stop growing. They're so, by God, this is how it is. (laughs) It's not. So I I am trying. But yeah, thank you for for that. Um, I'm glad to know. I mean, I know people are opening the newsletter, but I don't know that people are reading it except through feedback. So Yeah, it's cool. And I I love you experimenting with another version because you're right. Like the more I'm getting into the podcast industry, there's a lot of these sort of industry newsletters and they're all kind of long. Uh, I think long form is in these days. Yeah. And... I think, yeah, experimenting with short form will be super interesting. It's kind of bringing back the newsletter into like an email format versus like well, a, Well, or back when we had just like a piece of paper and we couldn't put long stuff because we only had one piece of paper. Exactly. Yeah, you, know, you had to be brief. <laughs> no, that's super cool. And yeah, I would have thought that was your biggest hack because also even when I analyze your episodes, I think that's, correct me if I'm wrong, that's like pretty much your only call to action, right? I feel like everything you say drives people to the website and the newsletter. Right? Okay, yeah. So yeah, about the newsletter. So I do a newsletter. It goes out via email, 
bigpodcast.com every Friday morning, New York time. But there's also an audio edition of that newsletter that goes out via the podcast. So the audio editions you're talking about, yeah, that's the only call to action, newsletter.bigpodcast.com. And in that audio version, you'll hear me mentioned the website, newsletter.bigpodcast.com, probably eight times. I kind of <laughs> make it a joke. Yeah. All right, go for the links, go to newsletter.bigpodcast.com. Next story, boom. Yeah, so that... Um, oh, yeah, I might be thinking of those episodes. You're, I think you're thinking of that. And then, then in addition to that, they're the behind-the-scenes episodes. They're just general episodes that don't fit into that newsletter format. But sometimes I get caught up and you'll hear two newsletters in a row instead of the other episodes. And on the normal episodes, what's your main call to action there? I want people to subscribe. So, because then they can get more episodes. Because there's not really like a, a consistent call to action other than subscribe. The, the way I look at it is I'm trying to build a relationship with people. That's right. via email. That's via the podcast. And if I don't have an important call to action, I want you to subscribe so I can get you when I do have an important call to action. I see. So... And all these like episode types are on the same feed. So on your newsletter episodes, you're, you're sure right. I think you do the eight time call to action, go subscribe to the newsletter. And on yeah. the normal yeah. episodes, you just tell them to subscribe. And, yeah. Uh, well, well, always at the end, there is going to be like a, if, if you want to make sure you never miss an episode of the podcast, here's how to subscribe. Right. But yeah, the newsletter, I, I give the link because one of the things that I've found difficult when listening to podcasts is that. Sometimes I'll go through five or six stories on those newsletter episodes and I could give five or six different links, but you're listening to it at the gym or in your car, you're not going to remember them. Mm -hmm. But maybe if I repeat newsletter.bigpodcast.com enough, you can go there, then get the link. It's just a better experience. It's better for me. It's better for other people because yeah. I'm going to hopefully get you to sign up for the newsletter, but also yeah. give you the exact link rather than like, what was that URL? Was it, you know? Yeah. No, I like that. And it definitely did work with me because on one of your recent episodes, you talked about this new service Adobe either has or is coming up with. Oh, yeah, that uh, cleans up audio. Yeah, yeah, that cleans up audio. And then you played an example of it. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Is that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. It's like there's this like windy audio clip and then, you know, it's probably like a one click thing where you turn it into yeah. a very clean audio clip. Like and, magic. And like you said, I, I didn't know the URL. So just, I did a Gmail search and I saw it on your newsletter. So. Yeah, definitely works. That's cool. Um, and it's well, better for tracking ads too, by the way, because I've got an ad with a sponsor and, you know, I, I'm trying to get them clicks by doing that so they can go through the newsletter and make sure the click is tracked well. Right. Yeah. Speaking of ads, do you sell your own ads? Yeah, I do. There's just not enough money in it for somebody to take 25%. Right. So for, I don't know if you're, you're okay with sharing some numbers um, around CPM, I won't ask you for your total numbers, but kind of consider this type of podcast like a niche podcast are yeah. you getting like some niche type of cpms for it two hundred dollars oh wow okay that's yeah. a lot thanks for sharing that yeah yeah i learned this even with the radio show in that we have so many musicians listening and somebody could come to us and they could say well i can go to howard stern and he could advertise he reaches a million people it's like yeah but you'll reach the same amount of musicians as my small show right and i'm a whole lot cheaper than stern and and that's how it is for us like if you want to reach podcasters you want to be in my newsletter you want to be on my podcast i cannot mm -hmm. help you sell a car i can't help you sell soda you know mm -hmm. not in a big way but i can definitely bring some people to your podcasting service yeah. and i take it you sell it as a bundle like if they buy ads on your podcast you'll like automatically put them in your newsletter too no, that's a separate thing. Separate. Yeah, there's okay. a separate thing. And I've actually started with a newsletter to do 
classified ads too. So specifically for indie people, mm. no, this, this is something I learned from radio. The radio station where we produce, they have a, a thing called a bug. The, the station is called Lightning 100. So I think they're trying to be cute, like a lightning bug. Mm-hmm. And if, if your band were to play, let's say you're to play the Boom Boom Room, say, all right, we've got um, Pat in the pod inboxes at the Boom Boom Room. This Friday, $5 cover, whatever. That ad is going to be like $25. It's a mm-hmm. really quick ad. So I thought, hmm, what could I do to make it affordable for indies? I'll put a couple classified ads in there. And then I've got the main title sponsor that's separate in the newsletter. And then there's the, the podcast that's separate. So there's actually three different options to advertise with me. And, th- and that's kind of an afterthought. That's just because so many people were asking. I was like, eh, money on the table. That's really cool. Well, dude, thanks. This is all great information. I can't yeah, wait dude, to hear well, this Yeah, dude, I hope we stayed on topic. You know, it's fun to, you know, knock through some of this stuff with a fellow podcaster because this is how good ideas come up, I think. You know, this is innovation. No, I love it. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And I think that the audience will appreciate all your thoughts. Look, I appreciate everybody who's listening. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. If you liked this interview and you enjoyed the episode drop, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review. I'd love to hear your feedback, and it really does help support the show. And to follow Dave and his podcast, Build a Big Podcast, you'll find all the links in the episode show notes. Without further ado, here's a full episode from Build a Big Podcast. So stay tuned and enjoy. This is Big Podcast. It's Build a Big Podcast. David Hooper with you. This is the podcast about growing your podcast, marketing your podcast, making a message that people care about, delivering it in a way that people care about, and making an impact because of it. Bigpodcast.com is the website. And on this episode, I'm taking you behind the scenes with some uh, mm, correspondence, we'll call it, with a publicist. People question me about this all the time. What is this like? How do you work a publicist? What happens if you have an opportunity for a big guest, but you're not really into it or they're asking too much? And it's about negotiation. And I'm going to give you the behind the scenes process of what a pitch looks like and what happens when you're maybe not into it, but you're kind of into it because you see potential. I'm one of these guys that see potential. I mean, you can come to me with basically anything. I'm thinking, oh, that's a story. There's a story there. And that can kind of get you in trouble sometimes because what ends up happening is that publicists, they're looking for easy wins. And you don't want to be on the sucker list. You might have experienced this with some booking agencies, meaning they book guests for podcasts exclusively. And I'm not going to pick on any one of them. All of them are this way because it's a smart way for them to do it. But if you're somebody that says yes to guests and every single person that they pitch, you say yes to, they're going to come back to you time and time and time again. And they're either going to not have to work as hard because you're saying yes to everything, or not only not have to work as hard because you say yes to everything, dump some stuff that other people said no to. There are a lot of people that they cannot book because they're simply not that great. But these companies take them on because they're paying money and, you know, got to pay the bills. And look, I get it. I get it. I'm not making judgment on that. What I'm saying is you don't want to be left holding the bag and bringing your listeners into their mess into their deal they signed on for that maybe they shouldn't have. So we're going to talk about that on this episode, the behind the scenes of working with a publicist, booking agent, anybody who's coming to you with a guest idea that maybe isn't a match, but you want to maybe make it a match or you want to say no. This episode is brought to you by Riverside.fm, the leading platform to record studio quality, remote podcast and video. We're going remote, baby. People are working from home. 
COVID, flu, all sorts of other diseases going on, being in a small room, not like it used to be. But thankfully, there's Riverside. It's used by over 70,000 people and companies, ranging from individual creators to well-known hosts like Guy Raz, Gary Vee, companies like Spotify, the New York Times. One of the things we're getting into when I start talking about this pitch, it is a remote session that we're working on. She wanted to do it locally in our studio when this guy was in town. She had a tight timeline. I'm going to get more into it. For now, let's make sure that we get you hooked up with a great remote recording option, and that is Riverside.fm. Here's the deal. Go to Riverside.fm right now. You're going to get two hours to try it out free. Use it on the next interview, the next couple of interviews. You can do this. Two hours should be more than enough for you to get a couple of great interviews. Use Riverside. See if you like it. See how good you sound. When you do decide that you like it, how easy it is for you to do interviews, how easy it is for you to make your guests sound great, I got a coupon code for you. And that coupon code, big podcast, B-I-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, Riverside.fm, the coupon code, big podcast, B-I-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. You're going to save 15% on a platform that's already considered one of the most inexpensive ways to do remote recording. Riverside.fm, the code for 15% off, big podcast, B-I-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. So let me give you the scoop about my relationship with this publicist. I deal with a lot of publicists because I have a show that is a 100% interview format show, meaning every single episode, there is an interview. It is popular enough that people want to be on it. I do not have to go out and get many guests if I don't want to. I do want to because I like to have control of my own podcast. Even though I got people coming to me, I don't want them in charge of the show. They're not in charge of the show. I'm in charge of the show, just like you're in charge of your show. And it is up to us to bring good guests in. However, if they're going to bring a good guest my way, and they have, and this is one of them, there's nothing wrong with dealing with a publicist, taking publicist calls, taking publicist emails. The issue is, is that you need to do things your way. I think it's very easy for podcasters when a publicist or an agent comes to them and they've got a big guest. On the Riverside ad, for example, I mentioned Gary Vee. A lot of people, oh man, Gary Vee, by God. They love him. And they would say yes to anything that he's going to do. I know a lot of people, and Gary Vee has done interviews with him. He's on a speakerphone. He's in a subway. He's in a taxi. I mean, the dude books himself like crazy. He is not always in the studio like he's going to be when he's recording his podcast. If you want Gary Vee, that's what you get. Me personally, mm-mm. No, when you're on my podcast, when you're on my radio show, you're going to be in a quiet place. You're going to have a good mic. You're going to give me the time that I need for the radio show that I'm going to share you the pitch for. I need two hours because I need to get 54 minutes of content. There's 54 minutes of content and six minutes for the commercials. It's a one-hour show. And I cannot do it if I've got the guest for less than 90 minutes. I really need two hours because there's sometimes some technical things that we've got to work out. There are things that come up. We need promos. Anyway, I need what I need when I book a guest. And you do too. It's just the difference between me and hopefully not you, but definitely some people, is that I ask for what I need. There are a handful of people that I would interview where they did not give me exactly what I need. And this guest in this pitch that I'm talking about, not one of them. If the publicist came to me and said, hey, Dolly Parton wants to get on a tin can and a string and talk to you for 10 minutes, I'd be like, hell yeah. Sign me up. I'll do that. But I'm not going to do it before asking, hey, does Dolly maybe have a phone or a microphone around? I mean, she's a singer. She's got to have a microphone that we can connect to a computer and connect that way, right? 
Some people just try to get what they can get. And that's what this episode is about. So let's get to it. This is from a publicist I know. She's in Los Angeles. And she says this. This is an email. Hey, Dave, how are you? I hope this finds you well. I wanted to reach out to you about a children's book. And she's got the title of the book. I'm not going to read it here. This is from a first-time author, a music executive. And she gives me his name. It's coming out November 15th on Simon & Schuster with an accompanying eponymous theme song written by hit songwriter and icon. And she lists the icon's name with illustrations from a first-time published illustrator. She lists the illustrator's name. I know this is a little left to center, not straight-ahead music industry, but it's a beautiful creative collaboration among music creative and, more importantly, induces so many smiles. I was hoping to get this collaboration story on your radar to see if you're interested in having blank on the show, the original guy, the author. A link to the music, the book, and more information on the collaboration and how the project came to be is below. I'm happy to send you a copy of the book. Thanks so much for giving this story your attention, Dave. I really appreciate it and look forward to hearing from you. Not the pitch I would normally get, sort of related. Maybe you can connect on this. Sometimes you've got somebody come in who's maybe not 100% match, but, you know, maybe you've got a stock market podcast, for example, and it's an average guy who made money with a stock market, not a trader. Just happened to do three trades in his life, make a bajillion dollars. Is that a story? Yeah, maybe, maybe, but it's not the technical analysis that you normally do. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes you get stories like that, and certainly this could be one of these things for me. I'm going to read this guy's bio for you in a second, but sometimes I'll have people that come into a music business show with other creative projects, such as maybe they're a public speaker, maybe they're a writer, a comic, they've got a book. There are parallels between creating those kind of projects and doing those kind of performances to the music industry. And this is one of the things that makes me such a great host, such a great producer, is that I can see those parallels and think, there is a story here, there is a thread that we are going to weave in and out of this from the very beginning of it to the end and make it something that our audience, who is listening to us for the music industry, is still going to get some music industry advice from even though we're not going to talk directly about the music industry. Every guest, I believe, has that opportunity. So let's see how this works. So this is the guest that she is pitching, and this is more on the project. He was first inspired to write a story 12 years ago when he married his wife, and it's an intercultural relationship. Shortly after their wedding that brought together all these different cultures, he was in Lake Tahoe. He saw a hummingbird feeding on a flower. Next to it was a bunch of bees. He thought to himself how incredible it was that these two very different creatures were enjoying nature together in harmony. Observing this scene, he decided to develop the story and then talks about two animals coming together. He put pen to paper. During the pandemic, he wrote the story when he was sick with COVID-19 and quarantined from his family. And a side note, that's a story right there for the music industry because there are a lot of people that were taken off the road. There are a lot of creative projects that happened because people were sidelined, they were sick, or they just couldn't go anywhere. But here's what is really interesting. This isn't just a children's author. This is a guy from a major label. He implemented marketing plans for their hip-hop roster before moving to another major label. And here's who he has done campaigns for. The Beatles, Frank Sinatra, Jimi Hendrix, The Beach Boys, Tina Turner, Pink Floyd, George Clinton, Q-Tip, Ice Cube, Busta Rhymes, Old Dirty Bastard, Digital Underground, It goes on and on and on. He has had a long career. That is something that my audience is interested in. 
that she pitched me on the book. She didn't pitch me on his career. So I went back to her and I said, look, this book sounds great. I love the idea of bringing different cultures together. And I think it's a good story. I think we can talk about it, but I can't talk about it for an hour. What I want to do, got this 54 minutes that I need to fill. The 54 minutes, by the way, it's divided into four segments. I want to talk to him during the first three segments about his career, all these bands, Pink Floyd, Jimi Hendrix, The Beatles, working marketing campaigns for them. Then I can transition into other creative projects, including his book, throw that in there in the fourth section. She said, great. I said, all right, let me run it by the producer. I'll see if he's in. Run it by the producer. He's in. Get back to her. Here's our schedule. You got to release. It's about two weeks away. I cannot get you in. I cannot get you edited. I cannot get you aired in that time. In fact, I'm not going to be able to get you in until about a month. And it's going to be about a month after that. So six weeks, two months after your launch that we can actually get this aired. And I also said, speaking of Riverside and remote interviews, this thing's got to be 100% remote. Due to the travel schedule of my engineer, my producer, I might be the only one in Nashville to do this. And I need them, so we're just going to do everything remote. This guy's in Los Angeles, I think. Maybe New York. Publicist is in LA. Anyway, she comes back. Hey, he's actually in town this week. Could you get him in Wednesday to Friday? No, we can't. I've already told you. I can't book him for a month. We book out. I've got to get the studio. I've got to get that book. I've got to get an engineer in there. I want a producer in there with me to make sure the show is good. And I got to get in there. We can't do it this week. What I did do for her, because we produce this at a radio station with jocks that come in every day. Sometimes they'll have guests. I said, I'll pass this on to the jocks. They might want to have him in. It'd be five, 10 minutes talking about the book. It's exactly what you want at the time that you want. I don't know. There are no guarantees. As far as our interview, can't do it. It's got to be remote. It's got to be on our timeline. We get it out when we get it out. And as I've already mentioned, it's got to be this one hour. I need two hours to tape it. But the first three out of four sections is going to be you talking about the music industry. We happen to mention the book at the end. That's it. It can't be all about the book. And she's cool. She's cool. I say this to say, it wasn't weird. It's a win for her. It's a win for him. We get what we need out of it. The listeners, which is the most important part of this, I think, they get what they need out of it. It's a win, 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 win. But that does not happen if you listen to the publicist or you listen to the agent. Let them control the story, the timing, whatever. And they will do that. And I'm not saying that this is a bad thing. This is just the type of people that publicists and agents are. They are immune to criticism. They are immune to rejection. So if you say, kind of, they're going to come back to you and ask you, ask you, ask you. You need to say no. You're not going to hurt their feelings. I always joke around about the Mormon missionaries. We've got these kids sometimes that come around, always in the white shirt, the ties, bikes sometimes. I'm telling you, man. And I do the Jehovah's Witnesses the same way. Kingdom Hall pulls up in a van, 10 or 12 Jehovah's Witnesses get out, they're knocking on the door, knock, knock, knock. Hey, would you like a copy of the Watchtower? Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, love talking to those guys. And I don't talk to them about their religion, but I talk to them about rejection. Been trying to get them to come on the show. (laughs) I think it'd be good for podcasters. This is what I'm talking about, seeing the potential in something. I think it'd be good for podcasters because they are not phased by having somebody slam the door in their face. They just go on to the next one. That's why you see a lot of Mormons. Those guys are great at sales, man. They are great. They'll knock, knock, knock on doors. They have the training from the temple, man. 
and they will get on that thing, go after it like an attack dog. Those guys are killer salesmen. Anyway, they know a lot about rejection. I'm seeing the parallels there. And that's what I'm talking about. That's why I think as podcasters, we get into trouble because you've got a publicist, you've got an agent who really wants to get the client booked, really wants to get that client booked. And you say, well, you know, there's a story in there. Yeah, I could do it. It's not a great match. But if you're like me and you're able to transpose stuff, you see it in a different way than your audience is likely to see it. That's the big problem. A lot of times your audience isn't as quick to see those parallels as you are. Say, don't talk to me about Buicks. I drive a Cadillac. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're still talking about cars here. Don't you see the parallels? No, I drive a Cadillac. And sometimes you're going to have that, no matter how great you sculpt that story. But you at least need to try. You don't need to play nice. You don't need to be a pushover. You don't need to do something that you resent. Work with people. Work with publicists. That's fine. But keep in mind that it is up to you to have a great episode. It is up to you to look out after your audience. The publicist is probably not going to go back and listen to that episode. He or she does not care if it's a great episode. He or she only cares that they could chalk one up for their client. Hey, I got you booked on this show. I got you booked on that show. That's the downside of having a popular podcast. The only time that I would say for you to say yes to anything is if you've got a brand new podcast, you don't have a lot of listeners, and you are brand new to interviewing. It is a good skill to have. You will develop a lot of skills by dealing with people with different types of equipment, by dealing with people with different types of software, by dealing with people who are rushed, connecting to you remotely, connecting to you in person. You are going to develop a lot of skills. So in that case, you know, if you're starting a brand new podcast, you're maybe 10 episodes in, say yes to everything. I was working with one client, doing pretty well on social media. The podcast is up and coming. She's getting a lot of people to ask her, can I be on your podcast? I said, yeah, man, you need to get good at this podcasting thing. You need to get good at working with podcasters. You need to get good at working with publicists, good at following up, good at working with guests, good at building an instant rapport, good at getting the questions and the stories that your audience needs from people that might not be a good match. That's one of the great things about having guests that don't have media training. You have to work a little bit harder than somebody who has been on the mic a lot, has done a lot of talking about their topic. You know who the easiest people to interview are? Authors. Spent two, three years on a book sometimes. They know that topic in and out. So by the time they get to you, they've thought it through. They're also talking about it a lot. You're probably not the first podcast that they're going on. Those guys are easy. Celebrities are easy. The real skill set of an interviewer, how great interviews are made, how great interviewers are built, that comes from the not-so-great guests. So if you're trying to build those skills, in that case, I would say, say, yeah, I'll take it. You don't need to push back so much. But if you've got an established podcast, if you want to keep it established, you want to keep that listenership coming in, don't say yes to everything. Also, if you do say yes, you do do the interview and it doesn't work out so well, don't worry about putting it out if it's not a great interview. If it's not up to your standards, don't think that you have to put it out. That's an awkward conversation. Hey, when's the interview going out? Hadn't seen the interview up. Do you have a date for it? Let me know. No, 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 no. That's another thing that you're going to find once you get established. The really established guests are doing so many interviews. They know some of them are going to come out. They know some of them are going to come out later, months later sometimes. 
They know some of them will not come out. So they're not going to run you really hard. And I don't think there's anything wrong about following up on an interview. If you've done one with somebody as a guest and you're curious about when it's going to come out, maybe you need it for your reel or you want to promote it for them. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not saying that you're an amateur, but I think you know what I'm talking about. With some of those guys that you do interviews with, they're just a little too enthusiastic. They're really selling, selling, selling. You know, they got to pay rent, whatever. Something to consider. I've actually got a couple of these stacked up. I will be continuing this conversation on future episodes. If you've got questions about working with publicists, if you're a publicist yourself, you say, whoa, David, I got a different opinion on this. Feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to dive into it with you. Maybe have you on as a guest. Our conversation can be recorded. I'll put it out as an episode. If you want to make sure you don't miss this stuff, you want to subscribe. The way to do that, bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. I've got three buttons there. Go to bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. Pick one of them. iPhone button, Android button, RSS button. You know how this works, right? You're on an iPhone, click that one. Android, click the Android button. You need the RSS feed? Got that button for you. And if you want to scan the QR code, do this thing automatically. Get this podcast on your phone. Take me to the gym. Take me in the car. We'll talk about building a big podcast wherever you go. Scan that QR code. It's going to get you hooked up on Build a Big Podcast. URL again, it's bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. Go there right now before you forget, bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. And I'll see you in the next episode of Build a Big Podcast.